everyone. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, let the record show this is the only time that I've ever been to the right of Glenn Beck. Um, uh, won't be the last. Won't be the last. Uh, no, really, thank you. Uh, there's so much talk these days about how each of us, to a certain degree, lives in our own echo chamber, our own bubble. And, you know, I imagine most of the people that are here today aren't your traditional audience. And you being here, I think, demonstrates that coming together is important. So thank you for being here. Thank you. I, and it's, I agree with what the professor was talking about. And I, I think there are solutions that we can actually do um, that are going to make everybody really uncomfortable. But maybe it's time for us to be uncomfortable and get out of our own bubbles. And um, what he said was, we all need to take assessment of what we've done and who we are and what role we've played and then move on from there. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm here. Great. Well, let, let, let's, we're talking about a journey. Let's talk about yours. So a lot of people may not realize or remember, but in you know, as recent as 2009, it wasn't that long ago, you were considered one of the most well-liked and admired public figures in America. You're up there with Seems Oprah. like 100 years ago. Right. Uh, and that was when you were, went from HLN to CNN, uh, and then you had a two-year stint on Fox News. And uh, imagine one question from the audience is like, what happened? Was it you? Was it Roger Ailes? Was it both? Was it uh, that moment in time when partisan media really took off? But how did you go from being Oprah in 2009 to being someone in 2011 who was revered by one part of the country and, you know, scary to the rest? Lots of mistakes, um, uh, hyper-partisanship uh, era, lots of mistakes on my side, um, hyper-partisanship, being unaware that the entire toxic uh, atmosphere and what it was doing, um, everything from, I mean, everything that was happening was beginning to be hyper-politicized. So the entire baseline of the culture changed on us. Um, and uh, I, I was stupid enough to not see um, what was happening. And you made a, dis a deliberate decision to get out and, and it it feels like, and, it, and it's funny because this morning in anticipation of this, so many people here have come up to me and said, wow, like Glenn over the last year, you know, he's really been changing. I heard it from some of the most liberal voices in this room saying, I'm really curious to hear what Glenn has to say because over the last year we've sensed a shift. So talk about, about leaving a, Fox in this shift. It's been a five-year shift. One of the reasons why I left Fox was um, I, I could sense that it was, it was all coming apart. It was, I was doing more damage than good in many ways. I didn't know how to do my job. I said to my wife, if I could go away for five years to a mountain and I didn't have 250 employees depending on me, I would have because I needed to figure out, wait, what, what, what is happening here? Um, the, one of the things I, I didn't want to do, I never wanted to do news on television. And I remember when CNN brought me in and said, hey, we want to give you your own show. And I said, no, and they said, why? And I said, because have you watched it? It's awful. Everybody's just yelling at each other all the time. So my idea when I got into it was, well, let's make it fun. Let's make it funny. Let's not have anybody yelling at each other. So I didn't have anybody yelling at each other. I just had half the country yelling at me on the television screen. So it didn't, it didn't make it any better. So when I got out, you know, you can't, you referenced, um, when I was at HLN or at CNN, uh, in, when President Bush was in office during the election, 
that stupid AP poll that shows, you know, who's the most admired men in the world. I was number four between the Pope and Nelson Mandela. That should have shown you how sick this society was. And I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. Then I went to Fox. Two years at Fox, half of the country hated my guts. And you can't walk away from that and say, wait a minute, I know I'm not in between Nelson Mandela and the Pope, that's easy, I can dismiss that. But am I the guy that half the country thinks I am? It, you have, <laughs> don't tell anybody I said this because it's only gonna make things worse for me, but unless you're Donald Trump, you have to have some self-reflection. You have to be able to say, crap, is that who I am? And having that moment and really truly being honest about it, you can see, okay, I did these things and these were wrong. I didn't mean them to do this, but it doesn't matter. I did these things. This helped lead us down a road that is very toxic. Now, what are you gonna do? So I, I met you in the aftermath of that and like many people who either don't know you, haven't met you or on the eve of meeting you, uh, I thought I was getting Fox News Glenn Beck and I had been warned about the meeting and I walked in and we had an amazing conversation and um, uh, great dinners and, and, and the more time we spent together what I realized was we actually have a lot in common. There's things that we disagree on but I really enjoy our conversations about those things. They're informed and they're polite and, and they're respectful and, and what it made me think of leading to today is, is that you actually have a lot in common with most of the people in this room. I imagine this room more so than most. You know, when you think of business, is about deregulation and get government out and let's lower taxes and make it that. easier to hire people. Not even that. Why, why make it about politics? How many people, and be honest, please, how many people in the room hate me or think you hate me? Okay. All right. Well, you don't need to be rude about it, but <laughs> some of you could have kept your hands down. Okay. All right. But how many of you really know me? How is it people like me have allowed you or encouraged you to hate people you don't even know? I'm not trying to throw the lifeline around me. I'm trying to throw the life, lifeboat to anybody else you think you hate. This is ridiculous. I've, been, I've, been tur I've turned myself into a cartoon character. All you know is clips from YouTube. You have no idea who I am or what I really truly believe. We've reduced our relationship down to 144 characters. There's no way, I love Facebook. I can write everything and be very, very, I go to Medium and I write something that is very detailed. All they read is the headline and then they bash me for either saying or not saying the things that are I've just written. Either it was there and they didn't see it and they assume that it should be there, or I say, you know what, I'm only gonna spend a little bit of time, I'm gonna write 144 characters and then everybody plays gotcha on, well, you didn't say this. I have 144 characters. We are reducing ourselves to cartoons and we're allowing People like me and the media and the politicians. For instance, last night. Last night, Milo Yapanopoulos or whatever his name is, I don't know the guy, I just know what I think he believes. I know the people he's around. 
I believe he's an extraordinarily dangerous man because he's either intentionally burning it down because he believes that the culture and the society needs to be burned down to the ground, or he's just doing it to get rich, to be famous. Either, either one way, of which is horrible. Either way is horrible. So what happened? Berkeley students, they protest him. They, you know, let's go attack the Starbucks because, you know, damn those coffee people. And they're burning the Starbucks down in protest of Milo. I wrote last night on Twitter, there's no good guys here. I mean, who are we rooting for? These aren't the, 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 uh, the Occupy people that were burning things down. Those aren't Democrats. Those aren't, that's not a single Democrat I know in real life. Those aren't liberals that I know in real life. And Milo, I don't know the conservatives that think he's great or support him. And if I do know those people, and one of them actually works for me, I immediately called them out on Twitter and said, you're wrong, he doesn't stand for the truth. What, what's happening is the news will say, that's the Oops. You don't get to edit Glenn Beck, turn the mic on. Check, okay. So the media will say, um, will uh, make us feel like the Milo character is every conservative in the country and people on the right will make the Occupy Oakland people who are burning things down like every Democrat. That's not true. The Steve Bannons of the world and using Donald Trump, I don't know if Donald Trump knows it or is involved, I don't know, it's just dangerous. The Steve Bannons of the world are using the alt-right and people like Milo to stir the pot, to raise money and to get votes. The Democrats, the, uh, some of the Democratic um, institution, if you will, to raise money, to raise votes, will use the Occupy students to stir it up. I don't know anybody who is like that. Everybody, try this. How many of us just want it to stop? Right? We all want it to stop. So now what are we going to do about it? The only way we can make this happen, I believe, is for honest people to do exactly what the professor just said and say, here's my part of it. This is what I did. I didn't see it. I didn't see it coming. I, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yesterday is gone. But we have right now. That's what I did. I apologize if I hurt you. I apologize if it made things worse. Please, you can blame me for all of it. Now, what do we do? I have to listen to you. Here's the, here's the worst thing that's happening, and this is why I've been talking to the press. It's why I've been reaching out to anyone on the left who senses trouble. Real trouble is coming. This is what I was saying. This was the main point I was trying to make during the Obama administration. Executive orders, executive power, corruption at the highest level is out of control. I don't, I don't like what President Obama, the people, some of the radicals that he was hanging around. Half the country didn't have a problem with it. Okay, that's fine. I was so blind and I was so panicked 
I was feeling exactly like you're feeling now. I have a great advantage. I'm doubly panicked about Donald Trump than you are because I've already lived the last eight years. I know how this ends. It gets worse. Do, 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 you, do you think, and this is going to sound myopic and I apologize, but you know, is the population, despite there's been amazing, despite what happened in Berkeley, there's been amazing peaceful protests and, and activism, and, and we haven't seen anything like this ever, or at least in a long time, and yet it almost feels like the, the country's begging for authoritarianism. It's that, you know, the, 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 everyone talks about democracy and, and, and checks and balances, but the right hates Donald Trump, most of them do, but they're kind of willing to accept him because he's going to do the things they want him to do, so they're going to accept an authoritarian, authoritarian, uh, authoritarianism, and then in four years, or hopefully in eight years, worst case, it could swing the other way. And our, our, is the left going to be so beat up that they will vote yes. in anyone who will just do anything that okay, they so want? So let me tell you exactly what happened. Uh, it, it, it started, I believe, with, uh, with Clinton and the Monica Lewinsky thing and the right, and Matt Drudge said, hey, you know, he cheated, and then, uh, you know, it went back and forth. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Oh, yes, he did, but it doesn't matter. And then it just, start, it just started snowballing out of control. Then what happened? We had selected, not elected. It didn't matter. In the end, it, people delegitimized George W. Bush, and the right was pissed, and they hit back hard, and Michael Moore came in and did his Fahrenheit 9-11, and so then when Obama came in, then the right was all upset, and the left started to ignore the right and said, you're making things up. We were just, we had the same argument. <laughs> this is what we were saying with Michael Moore. Then we switched, we switched chairs, and nobody listened to each other. Nobody was listening to each other. Should we have the Patriot Act? No. But we were arguing about the presidency instead of the idea. Small minds discuss people. Average minds discuss events. Great minds discuss ideas. We've been stuck in the people place. We, none of us would have been talking about the Patriot Act. We wouldn't have it today if we weren't busy denigrating the people. It's like, watch the other hand. So what happened is, for the last eight years, when we said, hey, there's a problem with, with the growth of the executive branch, you don't want to give a president this much power. Half the country said, it's okay, because he's doing our stuff, and you guys are just worry warts, it's all gonna be fine. After eight years of feeling like nobody is listening to you, the right said, oh yeah? Oh yeah, really? Who can stop the press? Who can stop, make this pain that I'm feeling, this scary feeling that you're now feeling, who can make it stop? There were a lot of great candidates and one really bad one. But that one could make it stop. And all of a sudden, the people lost reason because they were so afraid. And they were like, he'll make it stop. Now what's happening? Now he's in charge. And everybody is marching. And what is he saying? The same thing that Barack Obama said about the Tea Party. They're nobodies. They're nothing. Don't worry about them. They're crazies. You guys are going to feel ignored for four to eight years. You're going to then say... No matter how reasonable you might feel today, trust me, I've seen this movie, 
you're now going to feel like nobody's listening, and you'll see this guy gets away with murder. Who can make him stop? And you'll find somebody worse that can make him stop. And then we're out. So what do we, so, so what do, we do, Glenn, right? Because we're in a moment where the whole notion of truth is sort of under attack. You know, it used to be if I said that shirt was green, you'd say, no, it was blue, and everyone would think I'm crazy. But, you know, the president can now say the, the, yeah, that your shirt's green, and, and who's going to tell him differently? Um, so truth is under attack, and, uh, and the fourth estate is under attack. And, and we're in, living in a world where, you know, it's not news until the president, it's not true until the president validates the truth of it. That's really scary. How do we, and, and, and half the country's only listening to one side of the news, so what do we do? Like, how do we get from where we are today to where we need to be, or are we on a one-way road to, you know, anarchy? No country has ever survived this. I have looked for it. I have searched for it. No country has ever survived this. This is where empires die. But there always has to be a first. And it is up to us. It, is, it will not be found in Washington. It is so broken. It won't be found with a politician. And it will not be found by somebody who wants to get famous, wants to have power, or wants to have money. The only way this will work, because the only way my side, and I hate this, but my side will listen to any liberal is if they come and open a vein and just bleed. And quite honestly... You have to do something almost self-destructive. You have to say, I'm willing to lose everything because this is true. For the last 18 months, I've taken my own audience on and said, you're crazy. This is everything you stood against. And I know you don't want to hear it. And I know you might vacate in large numbers. Doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's not about my company. It's about America. I've been rich. I've been poor. I've, I've, I've become rich, lost it all, became rich again. I believe in the American system. It can happen. It's not about our money. It's about our freedom, about our children's freedom. This is something unique. So Sam B. Sam B., um, uh, I, uh, she called me during the election, and she said, hey, I want to do an interview with you. And I, I'm not going to be a useful idiot. I know that, you know, she wanted somebody on who's going to badmouth Donald Trump. No, I want to have a real conversation. Uh, uh, although we have no problem badmouthing Donald Trump. Yeah, I know. Just to be clear. Um, uh, but I, I just didn't, I, I just didn't want to be the token Republican. Yeah, I don't want to be the token guy. Um, and so uh, she called me afterwards, and now she was a little freaked out of her mind. And she said, hey, I really want to do something. I said, fine, but this is the way it has to be. It can't be a hatchet job on me. I will tell, I, I'll answer any question. You want to blame me for all of it. You can blame me for all of it, but there has to be a time when we say, what do we have in common? She came down. We started an interview. We were about 40 minutes into it, maybe 30 minutes into it. And I said, this isn't, this isn't good. This isn't good for me. She said, this is great. And I said, no, for you, you're going to do your snarky thing and, and you know, make me look like the bad guy. And I'm willing. But then all that's going to do is piss the conservatives off and say, she's a monster. 
she said, well, I don't know how to do it. I mean, so what do we do? And I asked her, why did you invite me on? And I knew the answer because she had told me on the phone, because I think we're in trouble and we have to figure something out. So we had a good conversation where she had already bloodlet me on all the things that I had done wrong, so her audience would now listen and see that I'm not in it for anything, I'm not trying to get away with anything. And then, what do we have in common? We found out that we both are gravely concerned about the refugee problem. She had no idea that in the last two years, I had raised $16 million and we had personally moved 4,000 refugees out of Iraq and Syria, mainly to Australia, um, because the United States wouldn't take them. So we were on the front lines of that. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to get press on it. She didn't know it because we're not trying to get press on it. She's like, really? Yes, do you want to help us? Well, maybe. I'm taking her in a few weeks, hopefully, to Bangkok, Thailand, where I started a charity that is trying to rescue um, children who are sex slaves all around the world. If you take all of the Western, uh, all the Western slave trade over the hundreds of years and you totaled up the number of every slave the West enslaved for 400 years, that number is still smaller than the number of slaves currently today enslaved. She was on the same page. We can't let that happen. Great. We have, we have basic principles in common. One, the biggest thing we have in common right now, raise your hand if you believe this. And I know this is gonna be tough because it will force you to admit today that you at least agree with Glenn Beck on this one thing. I'm an American citizen that is terrified that we are going to lose our civil rights under some form of government, it's going to slip away. And I'm beginning to be afraid of the other Americans that live around me that I've always trusted. Anybody agree with that? Look at what we have in common. That's a big thing. Instead of demonizing each other, let's start learning about each other. And it's really easy to demonize, really easy. It's really hard to be the only person in your circle of friends who says, stop, stop. I can't tell you how much email and how, how many phone calls I get every single day. When I'm on talk radio, I'm sandwiched between Rush and Sean, and I'm on the air saying, their pain is real. Don't make fun of Americans who are freaked out by this guy. It's real. They're sensing now what we sensed before, and you didn't like it when, you mocked, when they mocked you. Don't mock them. This is a golden opportunity that has fallen into our lap. We should all look at each other right now and say, oh my gosh, you're freaked out? Whew, good. I was freaked out and I'm freaked out right now. What do you say we balance the power back to the constitutional foundation of our country? 
We're not a democracy. They always fail. We're a constitutional republic. No president, nobody in a constitutional republic should make you feel the way you feel right now. No president should have that power. That's what's made us unique. That's what's made us special. Their job is to make sure that nobody breaks into your house, that nobody does something in, uh, uh, in another company that hurts your company that is against the law. Their job is to make sure that we are generally safe and we have the best platform in the world to invite the rest of the world to help us make the world a better place. Not to tell us what to do, what to believe, what to eat, where to eat. None of that stuff. So as always, this conversation was way too short. The clock is ticking down. Uh, what I will say is that uh, Glenn, who's going back to Dallas tonight, uh, he and, and members of his team uh, from Mercury are going to be, you know, hanging out here for you know a few hours or at least as long as they can. So uh, if you're open to it, Glenn, I, I'd invite. Is it okay to invite people would, to come I, and talk I, I to you please, and continue I would, conversations? I would love to meet with anyone who wants to make it stop and has an idea. I am open to any idea that we can reach out outside of our own bubble and try to make this stop. We have to do it, and now is the time. If we miss this opportunity, the hatred's only gonna grow, and we'll forever regret it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Glenn.